confusion and the chaos, we were going back to the Gospels. Now, I have to tell you something, and I'm not saying this against anyone else, but it's my own personal convictions. There is a lot of people today in a lot of churches, and that's their choice and pastors to do so, that they're going to give you the different steps of what you need to do, right? And, and a lot of us like that. We like our different steps and how you can do this and how you can do that. Pastor Mike and I were speaking today about it, that it's about me becoming the best that I can be. I believe, I'm convinced, we're convinced that that is a place for Bible study. That is a place for us to come together, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say, life together. Life together is a place where we share life and we, as iron sharpens iron, and we become all that Christ has called us to be as disciples of Christ. And, and I just find sometimes that if we're not careful, the church can be so man-driven, need-driven, and I think we sang about it today, what we need is Christ. I believe the Church of Jesus Christ is about Christ. I believe this pulpit is about Jesus. And I believe it's about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because you know what I found? I found in my own life that there have been times where I've gone down that road in the greatest, newest program, and you need to teach this and you need to teach that. And yes, there is a place for that, but I'm talking about the pulpit. That after a while people learn that, and that becomes old fat. That becomes something that is forgotten about. But you can never lose Jesus. And, and, and I can never lose the importance of his word and what he taught. And more importantly, it is so important for us to keep Christ at the center of all that we do as a church. We're living in a day where it is so easy to be off on this wind of teaching, be over here on this wind of teaching, and all over the place. And what I believe what you need is a rock today to stand upon. This, this Lent 2021, after all that we've been through as a church, as the Church of Jesus Christ has been through, I believe we need the rock again to stand upon. We need Christ. And so that's why we've been spending time in the Gospels of Mark, and when particularly in the season of Lent, we've been journeying with Christ to the cross to the tomb, and hopefully and prayerfully beyond, <laughs> where there is no limit. And, and so today, we're looking at this rich young ruler, but I don't know, some of you are too young for this. Anybody remember Richie Rich? Oh, there's a few hands. Some of you are like, what is she talking about? And actually, it was a comic. I never, I never seen the comics. The comics were before my age. Richie Rich was a fictional character from the Harvey comics. Now, some of you grew up with different comics. This doesn't look like your comics, but this was the comics that he had his debut in 1953, and he was dubbed the poor little rich boy. The poor little rich boy. Now, I used to watch the cartoon. That's what I would see, was this Richie Rich. And, and he was so rich that his middle name was what? A dollar sign. And his parents were the wealthiest of the world, and so he was the only child, and he was the richest child that ever lived. And he was so rich that when he needed money, he would go into the storehouse with a shovel, and he would just shovel the dollars and the coins. And as a child growing up, now you know why we're all messed up, our generation. <laughs> as a child growing up, it was like, wow, that's, that's got to be pretty good to be part of Richie Rich's life. Like, wouldn't that be awesome? If we're not careful, we tend to be people who think that riches are the aim in life. 
This is, this is what we need. We, we need to be rich. The rich. Being rich is going to solve all our problems. Weren't we sold that? <laughs> we were told that. And, and some of you would say, well, now Pastor Betty is speaking today about the rich young ruler, that familiar passage in Scripture, and I'm not rich, I'm not wealthy, so I can opt out. I'll just get a little comfortable and have a Sunday morning nap. I want to say to you, on the world's scheme of things, somebody has done this number. They said, if you make 35000 a year or more, you are in the top 5% of income earners in the whole globe. 35000 or more, you are in the top 5% of global income earners. 5%. And then if you make a little bit less than that, you're probably in the top 10%, top 15%. So if God was here today and he was looking at the global situation, who would he think is the wealthy and the rich? We are. No hands going up. No. Right? Because see, it's always relative, isn't it? No matter how much money you make, there's always someone who makes it more. And the tendency is, if we're not careful, when we read these kind of passages, that's always about somebody else. That's not about me. I'm not, I'm not wealthy. I'm not rich. I want to share with you today that we need to look at ourselves and, and see where God can apply this to our lives, this rich, young ruler. Now, in today's world, they would say, bling. He was a guy of bling. He, had a, he was a young man who had everything. We know that he was young and we know he was a ruler because of the other Gospels tell us about that. So people refer to him as the rich young ruler. He seems like the perfect recruit. If you were trying to recruit people today to be your disciple, to be your follower, he seems like the perfect recruit. Why? Because he's an earnest seeker. He has good moral character, and Judas would say, Amen, because he's rich. Judas kept the money bag for the disciples. See, there was a mindset in Judaism that if God, if you were God's man, God would bless you and you'd be wealthy. So anytime somebody seen this young, rich ruler, it meant that God was blessing him, and so God was with him. And so this is the young man that you want to recruit as one of the disciples of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. See, this is the whole discussion in the book of Job that Job struggles with. Because ultimately, if you were going through difficulty, ultimately, if you were poor, it meant that you weren't God's blessed individual. And yet Jesus said that he came for who? He came for the poor and the lost and the left out of society. And so Jesus reverses that, doesn't he? But there's this idea, again, we're looking at the disciples in their mindset that this young man is wealthy, and so this is proof of God's blessing upon him. I think today if a young man was to walk into church like this, we would put the red carpet out for him. He came running. He flung himself at Jesus' feet. And he is respectful because he says, good teacher. And then he asks the Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's seeking. He's asking that question that we love when people ask. This young man is a person of good temperament. He had a clean record. And so Jesus mentions to him six of the Ten Commandments. Notice it's the six that has to deal with interpersonal. And for some reason, we'll see later, Jesus leaves those beginning commandments out. 
And then he turns around and says, I've kept them all. Says a young boy, I've kept the commandments. And so, you know, like Paul, Paul said when he was a Pharisee, he was what? Blameless under the law. And so we see this young man, this young rich ruler is saying, basically, I'm blameless, Jesus. I've kept the law. I'm a blameless individual. That must be enough, right? That's how I enter into eternal life. I love what it says that Jesus looked at him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. I love that when it says that the Lord loved. We see his compassion, his love here. And so sometimes we struggle because sometimes God's word is hard. Sometimes God's word is difficult for us. But the truth of it is that Jesus was speaking to this young man with great compassion and great love. It is because God loves you that the Holy Spirit will convict you. You understand that? It is because God loves you that he will challenge you. He will put his finger on things that need to change. It's because of his great compassion and love for you. And we need to understand that because of his great love for us. We see that Jesus looked upon him. Jesus said, why are you calling me good? Only no one is good, only God. Some believe that Jesus is inferring then that he is God, right there. But what is good? What's good enough? Isn't that basically what this young rich ruler is asking? What is good enough? How do I in, 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 in gain eternal life? Uh, and so, you know, I think a lot of people, I've had this discussion before with people, a lot of people will say, you know, well, pastor, I'm good. I'm a good person. Would you consider yourself today a good person? I would say, well, how good are you? 60% of the time you're good? Some of you would say, well, probably around 75. I'm doing pretty good with it now. 75% of the time I'm good. What, what about 90%? Are there any 90% good people in the house of the Lord? Oh, there's probably a couple. Maybe a few, maybe more. I'm not going to say who. <laughs> What if you were 99.5% good? Now that would be pretty elite. This is how this young rich ruler sees himself. I'm a good person. I haven't killed anybody. I meet people all the time. I'm a good person. I should be going to heaven. I should have eternal life because I'm a good person. After all, most of the time I'm a good person. What if God demands 100%? He does. And even 99.9% .9 will not do it. It's not good enough. And the truth of it is, none of us are good enough. The truth of the gospel is we all have sinned and fallen short. And none of us are good. Not one. And so therefore, we cannot earn eternal life. It's not about what must I do. See, he thought salvation was like sitting in an exam, and I'm going to sit there, and I've passed the grade, and so now Jesus let me enter into eternal life. But we know there's something behind this, because he comes to Jesus. He is this rich, young ruler, and somehow he knows he needs to come to Jesus and ask the question. He was conscious that there's something lacking. There's something missing in his life. Wealth could not purchase it. His position did not attain it. And so he comes to this place where he says, there must be something more than what I'm experiencing. 
There has to be something more than this. In my own life, I learned at a very young age, in my 20s, uh, I was at a place where I had everything that I'm supposed to have to be happy. What everyone tells me I'm supposed to have to be happy. Uh, I have a husband who loves me, praise God, and he still loves me, I think. Amen. Amen. Uh, I had two children at that time. I had a daughter and a son. I was in my early 20s. We had our own home. We almost had it paid for. I had a brand new car sitting in the driveway. My husband worked 14, 16 hours a day in order to put food on the table and wanted me to stay home to raise the children, which is something which most women don't even get the opportunity to do. And so I was able to stay home with my family, raise our kids. It looked like the perfect scenario. I was miserable. I was miserable. And I've shared with you before, I was suicidal. I would think in the morning about how I could take my life. I kept saying, if this is it, if this is all I could ever hope for, and I'm supposed to be happy and I'm miserable, I just want to opt out now. I just don't want to live. And it often would be the last thought I would have as I laid my head on the pillow at night, that I was just thinking and contemplating how I could do it. And I knew something in my heart said, there must be something more than this. There must be something more than just this, what this world keeps telling us we need to feel fulfilled and important. I love the fact that Jesus sees here the heart of this young man. He was seeking, but not, he didn't have any godly sorrow. There's no conviction here. He's spiritually immature. He's not arrogant, but he's very, very naive. He's going around saying to the master, the rabbi, I'm blameless. <laughs> I, I had no concept of sin. And he's spiritually independent because he says, what must I do to gain eternal life? I like the fact that Jesus gets right to the issue, <laughs> right to the point. You start asking Jesus those kinds of questions, he'll point exactly what the issue is. What did he say? He said, you still lack one thing. You lack me. You lack coming to follow me. You see, this young man had religion, but he didn't have a relationship. He, he lacked the idea that Christ was now the center of his life, the authority, the dominating principle, the purpose, the direction. He lacked the person. Jesus, he got everything else right, but it's the one thing he lacked. And so how was he to, to follow Jesus? He was told because of his own desires, because of his own things that he bowed down to, because of his own gods and idols that he had made. Remember those first four commandments? That you're to love the Lord with all your heart, that you're not to have any idols before him. This is why Jesus waited on those four. He now brings out the issues that this young man need to do, what he needs to do. And what he needs to do is he needs to sell whatever you have and give to the poor. Come and take up your cross and follow me. This is the thing you lack, young man, Jesus is saying to him. And see, as they looked at his life before that and the commandments, he had never never done something bad. He, he had followed the don'ts. He was quite good at the don'ts. You know those. The do's and the don'ts. Don't we talk about that in the church? 
Uh, don't defraud and don't steal and don't kill and don't bear false witness and don't. He says, oh, I'm really good at the don'ts. I, I don't do any of those things. I'm, I I'm a good person. What does Jesus put his finger on in his life? He says, but what have you done? Where have you shown compassion and love and care and generosity? What, what do you do for people? And so notice for him it is so important that he is to sell and give and to take care of the poor. And so Jesus says, this one thing, young man, is lacking. How much do you want the real thing? You know, I just joke about that. Our family are big Coke drinkers. They love Coke. I know we're in Pepsiville. Not on my side. <laughs> Not Pastor Mike, but we're in Pepsiville. But, but our family are Coca-Cola drinkers. They love Coca-Cola. So much so that Tina will run around many, many different stores to get a Coca-Cola that's in a can or a bottle, not a big bottle. Like, there's all kinds of stipulations. you got to have the real thing. <laughs> and because you want the real thing, I was Miss Cheapo, and my mom would buy knockoff. You know, like, the knockoff cheap cola? It's cola. And it just would not do. <laughs> In our family, cheap cola just was left on the table. Nobody would even bother with it because it was not the real thing. Why do I say that? It's kind of comical. Are we settling not for the real thing? Can we fall into the trap like this rich young ruler that we settle for less than the authentic real thing that God is calling us to? Christ. Christ is the way to eternal life. Christ is the only way to heaven. Christ is the only way to live. He is the real thing. And so he points to this young man. And the question is, does this young man really want the real thing? When he asks that question, here's the test. Will he do what Christ has said? Unfortunately, this story, I love this artist, by the way, but unfortunately, this story tells us that this young man left away what? Sad. Because he had great possessions. Oh, my friends, he was wealthy, but he was spiritually bankrupt. And he goes away sad. See, I think it was more about holding on to the things of this world and his pride and his position that he bowed down to and was important to him. And that was more important than letting it all go and following Jesus. And that story, my friends, is our story time and time again if we're not careful. See, I don't think the young man's issues was about money. Often we make these issues in the church about money. Money in itself is not sinful. What is sinful? The love of money is sinful. The bowing down to it, the worshiping it, the possessions and what I have, that is what is sinful. And, and I don't think it's the fact that he had wealth. God can use wealthy people. We've seen it all the time that he uses wealthy people. It's more about a way of life and belonging to God and surrendering everything to him. He wanted religion. But he didn't want Jesus. He wanted religion, but he didn't want Jesus. He wanted to be able to check some boxes. He was coming to Jesus expecting a pat in the back. Oh, you're a good young man, aren't you? And if we're not careful as the church of Jesus Christ, we like to check boxes. Because that's something we do. What must I do? I can check off a few boxes. 
And so some of the boxes we will check off is I tend a church, I live a moral life, I volunteer and give money to the poor occasionally, I raise my kids to be good, respectful people. You know, we check off these boxes. I'm a good person. I, 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 God must be proud of me. God help us. What must I do? Am I doing the right things, Jesus? Pastor, tell me if I'm doing the right thing. Pastor Sheila and counseling, tell me if I'm doing the right thing. We, we get this all the time from people that we're needing to hear that we're doing the right thing, that we're checking off our boxes. What must I do? Is it enough? And this young man went away sad. The sad part in this passage is he went away. We, we've been looking week after week at the disciples, and the disciples didn't get it. Remember that? We've been looking week after week. Uh, God, they didn't get that either. Oh, no, they don't understand here now. And so we know that, that the disciples didn't understand. And God is not saying that you have to have it all figured out. The disciples, though, where they're different, they stayed. Amen. And they followed. And they were teachable. And they were willing to learn. And God was able to change and transform them. The biggest mistake that happened here, not that this young man didn't understand. God can deal with that. But he walked away. And how many people, we prayed last week for the prodigals. How many people, when the going gets tough, they walk away. Somebody uh, talked about the three levels of discipleship. You see, there is a bottom level, usually those that are seen outside of following Christ, outside of discipleship, and that is a person who, uh, me, myself, and I, I control myself, and I control my belongings, my possessions. It's all about me. You know, uh, good Frank Sinatra song, I did it my, my way. way, right? That's the world. That's what we see around us. They don't understand us in the church or any of us who are believers of Christ that we would even want to follow God or why we would even come. And then there are those that have come to a place where God owns me. God owns me. Yes, I've come to that decision and God owns me. But you know what? Those things, Pastor, that God would put his finger on, those are mine. I've worked for them. I've sacrificed for them. I've been diligent, and they belong to me. All this belongs to me. All this stuff, all my things, all my accolades, all my, they're mine. And then he said, there comes a point in a Christian's life where you need to be a follower of Christ, where you need to say, yes, I'm God's, and you know what? All this stuff is his. Got quiet in here all of a sudden. See, you cannot really enter into what stewardship is until you realize that all of it is his, and he's now placed it in your hands to be good stewards of it. If, if, if I have not placed it all in his hands, if I do not come before him with an open hand, then I'm really not a steward, because it's all mine anyway. And see, there comes a place where we need to, in following Christ and in our discipleship, it's not about wealth. It's about things that get in the way of God. It's those things that we bow down to. It could be our family. It could be our career. It could be our hopes and our dreams. It could be our health. Whatever it is, it can get in the way of following Christ wholeheartedly. 
And that's what the story about the rich young ruler is all about. This person who did this study said, unfortunately, most Christians are stuck in that middle. God owns me, but don't touch my toys. Matthew 6, 21 says, for where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. And so we don't have time today, but in our closing verses that we heard read, Jesus told his disciples, he turned and looked at them and broken of heart as he saw this young man sad and walking away that he loved. And he said, it is difficult for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. You know, so many people have spent years and years and years studying that scripture. I've got better things to do, by the way, than studying that scripture. And basically what Jesus is saying, can a camel go through the eye of a needle? No. <laughs> so he's saying it is impossible. It is impossible for the wealthy and anyone else to enter into the kingdom of God by thinking this is what I must do. And so the disciples look at him and they say, well, Lord, what hope is there? Who can be saved? Praise God for that scripture. Oh, we went too fast. Hold on. We'll get you there. Too fast again. I didn't touch it. Just one click at a time. It's gone now. Anyway, the scripture. All things are. With God. Nothing is. All things are possible. Say that again with me. With God, God all, all things, things are possible. possible. See, by human standards, it is impossible. It is impossible by human standards. But it is God's business to deal with the impossible. God makes the impossible possible. And if salvation depended upon us and what we could do in ourselves, none of us could stand. It is a free gift from God. That's why we say it. It is a gift from God. Peter says to Jesus, well, we left everything, Lord, to follow you. And basically, Peter is saying, not the best attitude. What's in it for us? <laughs> and Jesus gives that wonderful promises in verse 29 to 30. You can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. God doesn't need your money. You know what he needs? You. You. He needs your obedience. He needs you to be set free from all this stuff that you think is so important that you've got to spend your life on. He wants you to hold on to it lightly, use it for his glory. He wants you to understand the freedom that he has come to give. Amen. And so he is saying to them, it's not about the money. It's about having me be the person who is first in your life. That you don't bow down to other things. And when you move into that, God can bless you a hundred times over, he promised in this passage. And then he ended, and the first will be last, and the last will be first. Rich or poor, healthy or ill, sinner or saint, the only way to get to heaven, my friends, is God's mercy. God's grace. God's gift. That's why Christ died on the cross for us as we're moving through Lent. The only person who ever earned our salvation is God himself through Christ Jesus. There is no other way. God is the one who works that out for our good, that we might inherit eternal life. I end with the story. The worship team is going to come. 
And that same artist that I was talking about, man, this is jumping today. Just click it. I'm clicking it, it's not going by. They're helping me with it. This same artist, uh, that first picture was the picture of what it was like in Jesus' day. And then this second one that I was showing is what they believe, she believes, the same story. A picture of a young man in the same situation. And, and I like this story from John Ortberg. We've used John Ortberg many times, uh, some of his materials for Bible studies and teaching. And he tells the story. Now, I want you to listen. I don't want you to be distracted. He tells this story of a successful businessman. And he worked 14 hours a day. His goal was to be the best businessman he could be, and his wife tried to get him to slow down. She knew that they weren't as close as they used to be, but because of his work, he hardly ever gave her any time. In the back of his mind, he knew that his kids were growing up, and he was missing it. His kids complained about the ball games he missed, the meals around the table he missed, the school concerts he missed. And after a while, they stopped complaining because they figured out he was never going to change. The businessman told himself, I'll be able to spend more time with them when things settle down someday. Besides, they have a nice house and nice clothes and cool video games because of my job. And after all, everything I do, I do for them. Not the truth. He also knew he, was taking, he wasn't taking care of himself the way he should. The doctor told him he had very some serious warning signs like high blood pressure and cholesterol and the doctor told him to cut back on the sweets and the fast food but instead the businessman just stopped going to the doctor. He said there will be plenty of time for that when things settle down someday. His wife tried to get him to attend church but he said Sunday is the one day I get to crash. It's the one day I get to sleep in. I, I don't have room in my life for God and the church. There will be plenty of time for that when things settle down someday. Besides, there was one small detail that the businessman had overlooked. An artery that had once been as supple as a blade of grass was now as dry as plaster, and the blood cells could barely squeeze through. And each day, while the man anxiously watched the stock market and stressfully did his work, the artery accumulated more and more plaque. Later that night, while he was hunched over his computer, his heart skipped a beat. Then another, and then another, and he gasped for air. He clutched at his chest, and he fell asleep, and his wife woke up at 3 a.m. wondering, where is he? Why isn't he in bed yet? She sees him slumped over his laptop. She says, figures, he'd rather sleep at the desk than come to bed and sleep with me. She touched his arm, and she realized how cold he was. She panicked. She called 911. They came to the house. They told her that he had a massive heart attack and that he'd already been dead for hours. People came from all over to attend the funeral. His work buddy said he was a great leader, a dedicated worker, a good man. The company even paid for the businessman's headstone. Uh, it said, here lies Harry, a visionary, an innovator, an entrepreneur. But later that night, God sent an angel 
to the headstone. There the angel traced with his finger the word God had in mind to describe the life of this wealthy, successful businessman. F-O-O-L. God said, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Who will get what you have prepared for yourself? See, this is a modern version of the story that Jesus tells in Luke 12. The rich fool. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Oh, my friends, Jesus was very frank in that parable, wasn't he? And he was very frank today, and I'm being frank with you, to that young, rich, young ruler. He didn't say about that man who acquired such wealth and stored it up that he was evil. He didn't say that he was wicked. He said he was foolish. He had devoted his whole life into the wrong things. He became so self-absorbed and too busy for the things that mattered most. Much like the rich young ruler in our story this morning, with possessions and wealth and position, but spiritually bankrupt. I challenge you today as we walk towards the cross, I believe that Jesus is pointing on things in our lives. It would be easy for us to say, well, I'm not a young businessman or I'm not a young rich ruler. But I believe we need to concentrate on that one statement. This one thing you lack. What would that be today? What would, point, what would he point at in your life that he would say, this one thing you lack? Maybe there's nothing. Praise God if there isn't. But I encourage you today to do business with God if there is. I encourage you today. Now do, do, not what, do not what this young fellow did where he walked away. Sad. Instead, continue, or maybe for the first time, begin to follow him. Let's sing.